Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hey, David, I'm good. How are you? Good, man. All things considered. Um, it's been a while since we've talked. How you been? I've been good. I'm happy to hear that you're well. Um, <laughs> surviving fiascos like this is part of the story. Yeah, yeah, indeed. You, know, it, We all kind of know that when the tide washes out, we get stories like this. I wasn't necessarily expecting this level of fiasco-ness. I don't know about you, um, but I guess upon reflecting how much shenanigans there were in 2021, it just kind of makes sense that we pay for it in 2022, I guess. Definitely. I think um, a month ago, I was a little uncomfortable because I could see a path to a month ago having been around the bottom, um, but it also felt a little too easy. I know that this year hasn't been easy for a lot of people, but having seen um, the past bears, this one didn't feel as bad. Um, now, in you know this month, middle of November, uh, this bear is just as bad as all the other bears. And so there's some relief uh, in me, actually, in saying, okay, this feels horrible. Um, this feels like about what the other bottoms have felt like. I think that's always been one of the things that's fascinated me about your interpretation on these markets is that they really seem to, you really kind of seem to go with your gut and your emotions more than, I mean, I, I know you also have some like indicators that we're going to talk about and some more technical things, but um, it seems like you always kind of lead with the vibe more than any sort of particular metric. Would you agree with that? I, I would say it's a combination. Um, you're You're correct that I do parse through my gut and my brain. And there's a lot of good research out there on, on how much information that the gut does process. Uh, so I try to listen to that. And especially if I'm feeling queasy or scared or any of those things, and I get progressively less queasy and scared each bear market. But for example, about a week ago when FTT was falling apart, everything was falling apart. I think a week ago today was when, you know, soul felt bottomless all that stuff. I was like, okay, like I'm starting to feel queasy and it's getting hard to bid. And these are all the markers um, in the past of being very close to the bottom. We, we can discuss why this, this time could be different. I, I think it's always worth contemplating where I could be wrong or you could be wrong or anyone could be wrong. I always go through that, that thought exercise. Um, but you're definitely right that I do pay special attention to my gut I also pay, uh, pay close attention to how other people are behaving and, you know, acting and communicating because um, that gives so much information about how the market is positioned. And then also like comparing that with the uh, fundamentals or technicals that I'm seeing and, and, you know, looking for a convergence of over bearishness, um, both in how people are positioned in the market and in their um, narrative or, or, you know, end of last year, it was overly bullish. Right. And so just trying to find those places where everything aligns. And then, um, if I find myself strongly disagreeing, then, you know, I, I have to voice that. I think the other thing I've noticed from you as a, um, as a crypto Twitter commentator, I remember throughout 2021, like a number of my like telegram and like discord rooms would share some of your bearish tweets around while we were in the middle of like, our all-time high, like JPEG mania shenanigans. 
And everyone's like, oh, Chris, he's such a bear all the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, like, turns out, actually, that might have been, like, the right take to have. <laughs> yeah. It's not easy to do. And, you know, I also, right now, a fair amount of the feedback um, over the last few days as I've been like, hey, you know, this could be the bottom is actually the exact same behavior pattern to what you just just described, David, of, like, People are like, oh, you're an idiot or we're going way lower or bottom's not in until east at 250 or, you know, whatever crazy targets. And so it's the same behavior pattern. It's a little easier um, to do for me in a bear market because, you know, my job is to buy and to lift people up and to, you know, share why I'm optimistic. And um, I, I like being optimistic in a bull, a late stage bull, you know, I've spent a, a large amount of my life in this industry now. And it doesn't feel great to communicate to people why I'm feeling pessimistic in the short term, right? And to also have people misconstrue that short-term pessimism uh, with a lack of conviction in, in crypto and blockchains at large, because I always have that conviction in, in blockchains and crypto at large, and that will never um, be shaken given my understanding of the architectures and how important they are for the future. But it hurts to have people you know, conflate short-term pessimism um, with a lack of belief for the space, which is absolutely not true. Yeah, I, I do think that you are an, an inherent optimist. Um, uh, I do want to ask the question, like, my interpretation on the FTX events, to kind of drill into some more specific details, uh, is that um, this is actually the same contagion that we saw back in May and June, and it was Sam's shenanigans with Alameda and plugging up holes that like delayed that. That was like a buffer. But eventually, you know, markets are truth machines, right? The truth always comes out. And so like all of this like pain that we're feeling now is that we actually would have felt it earlier back in like June if Sam hadn't, you know, transferred some money from FTX to Alameda. But this is the same contagion that we were seeing back then. It just like took a lot took a lot longer to play out. Is that a fair interpretation? Would you agree? Yeah, that's that's my hypothesis. I mean I see a lot of people calling um for future liquidations or for sellers at scale. Um I think I'm more asking myself, is this the continuation or the grand finale of all the Luna fallout? Um, you know, we now understand that Sam's posturing um, was really because he he was insolvent, right? And he was um, posturing as strong to hide his weakness. Mm -hmm. And so now, you know, that's all getting revealed. And um, so I, I pay close attention to that. I also, you know, I, I spend a lot of time talking with different people in the industry, right? And everyone who's bearish right now that I, I respect and, you know, I want to listen to their perspective. Whenever I ask them, you know, who is the next forced seller, no one can answer that for me um, concretely. And I, I totally agree. And, and, and I want to be clear that, like, this stuff takes time, right? It's not um, a few days for, you know, unwinds to happen. And so we could be processing through things for weeks, if not months, if not quarters. And so I'm, I'm cognizant of that. But the fact that no one has um, concrete information on who the next big four seller is, is, is notable, notable to me, whereas there was a lot more of that concrete information, I think, in the May-June timeframe. Also, like when you look at um, the way that credit dried up following Luna, like everyone got way tighter with their books. Um, and I feel like 
FTX Alameda was maybe one of the last people to continue to get, get away with it. But uh, credit within crypto was drying up. Um, also, you know, just reinforced by credit at large dry, drying up when you look at um, what the Fed was doing with rates. And so I think that people were better positioned for this. Um, we saw, like, for example, with Genesis Trading, they, they got a cash infusion from DCG. Um, you know, so I, I assume Genesis to be in, you know, good enough shape, not, not going under. Jump as well, DCG as well. Um, there's a long list of others that I could go through. Um, and, you know, none of them appear to me to be a forced seller. If there are bankruptcies, um, those go into bankruptcy proceedings. The auctions happen later. Really, like the next forced selling event that I would have on my radar would be going into end of month with fund redemptions for anyone who's a hedge fund. So venture funds don't get uh, fund redemptions, but hedge funds do. But, you know, if a hedge fund's going through redemptions, they're probably so crushed that the dollar value of their assets is not all that great. Um, and I am seeing signs of some um, at scale cash, you know, seeping into this market. And so while I could see us taking a hit into end of month, that doesn't necessarily mean that it makes a, a new bottom. Yeah, that's, that's some really, really great analysis. And uh, I'll give my uh, left side of the curve take on, on my, my state of the markets where uh, the Ether bottomed at like just below uh, $900, I think, in the May in the May three arrows capital contagion. And that's, and I remember hearing a lot of the same conversations that we're hearing right now, like, oh, there's a lot more contagion out there. Like there's more, like more doom and gloom on the horizon. And then that, at least if we rewind back six months back to that event, like it was actually that moment right then and there to buy, like that was the low. Uh, yeah. And so like just doing some raw, basic, uh, smooth brain pattern recognition, like that's kind of my interpretation of, of where we're at right now. It's like, well, everyone is worried about future contagion, a bunch of doom and gloom. I think the one main difference, though, that I'd like to ask you about is that like, well, maybe it was the bottom back in uh, May when like Ether and, uh, hit $850 in Bitcoin. It was at like seventeen dollars or $18,000. Well, maybe that was the bottom because <laughs> Sam plugged the hole. Uh, and so he actually stopped the contagion. And so maybe like the bear take is that, well... Uh, that that we had like an actual like last buyer, which was Alameda and FTX, even though it wasn't actually legitimate. And like now that's falling apart too. And so maybe this contagion can't play out. But I think what you're saying is like, well, you've actually, you know, peeled back some of the onion and done some investigation. And you're saying that there's just not a lot there. Yeah, I, I would agree. I guess to tease apart the two parts uh, of that, you know, if we just go to, let's call it like emotional momentum or inertia, um, through the, the bear markets I've seen, there, there always is the strongest emotional momentum at the bottoms and the tops, right? So like, I remember this December 2018 dinner, um, that Fidelity put on and, you know, there are a bunch of heavyweights of our industry in the room and Bitcoin was right around $3,000. Um, and I remember a question was asked of like, who's buying here? And, you know, pretty much no one was buying and it was max fear. And I remember another guy telling me like BTC is going to 800 and, you know, he was absolutely certain of it. And, you know, also if you were on Twitter at that time, like, you know, there were calls for a thousand or, you know, 500 or $100 BTC. Right. And so those calls are always going to be there. Um, but, but that, that was the, you know, the turning point we did revisit those, um, 
December of 18 lows in January of 19. And then we also re revisited them briefly in um, March of 2020 when um, we had the, the, the COVID crash. And so right now, this is not me saying like, you know, super cycle or like bull markets entirely back on. It's more saying like, this is a capitulation moment. We may revisit these levels again to, you know, firm them up in a consolidation. But I think that um, part of the reason I've gotten more vocal about feeling like um, a, a, a lot of the bad news is behind us is I don't want people to get washed out here, right? Like um, selling here, I think, is potentially very painful for people in, in the future or like, you know, the fe fear mongering driving people away um, it would also be painful for people in the future. And so I'm trying to avoid people getting washed out by all the fear and, you know, instead, you know, provide a view into why I'm feeling more optimistic than I have, you know, the whole year. I think the big fear that I currently fear, uh, that I currently feel, is that uh, after um, the merge, the, the, you know, the, the catalyst, the merge, the merge is going to save us. Uh, merge didn't save us. Uh, Ether went from like 1800 down to like 1300, 1200. And that but was merge is saving us now. So this is, and sorry to interject, David, because sure. I think this is key. Um, if you look at where ETH is right now, so like June bottom for ETH was 880. And the bottom for ETH, um, you know, about a week ago was 1050, roughly. Mm -hmm. And so um, meanwhile, BTC made a lower low, right? A, right. a week ago from from June. And so um, that is super notable to me. And what's awesome is no one is talking about the merge, right? So like going into the merge, the the narrative got ahead of the reality. This happens often in crypto. Um, right. And then like immediately after the merge, there wasn't enough of a catalyst for the narrative to, to continue to move things. And so the flows moved against ETH, right? So ETH sold off and then people were like, ah, like, you know, the merge is meaningless or whatever. But now I think ETH's relative strength, ETH not making a new low. Also, when I look at its chart, it's much stronger than BTC's chart. Those are signs of a structural change in the ETH marketplace, um, which I would uh, pin down on both the merge and also like I, I would say ETH is just as trusted or allocated um, by uh, large capital allocators as, as BTC is at, at this point, And it's a smaller asset. So like those flows impact ETH more than they, they impact BTC. But it's just to point out that like the merge is doing its work right now even though people are talking about it way less. And that's a yeah. great sign because yeah. the narrative premium is gone and it's just the market structure uh, doing its thing. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, I totally uh, align, align with all of that. I, um, I think what, where, where I was going with that and what I'm now also like feeling as a result of this FTX uh, drama is that this, uh, if uh, like back, back before uh, the three hours capital contagion, like, me and me and Ryan were like, is it really a bear market? Don't really know. Uh, and then like three hours capital, like, oh, definitely a bear market. And then the merge price performance after the merge was bad. And so like, oh, OK, so this is going to be a longer thing. And now with this FTX drama, I'm like, oh, like all of 2023 is going to be just like flat. And like I'm, I'm super on board with this being like the bottom ish. But what I'm kind of feeling now is like, sweet, let's like get make sure everyone's calm like and selling now is probably bad uh it's probably not the right move but also it doesn't mean that like 2023 is going to be like all fun and games i think 2023 is going to be kind of a grind 
I agree. I I agree with that. And, you know, that's why I don't want to confuse people with being optimistic here. Um, because what I'm optimistic about is that most of the bad news has been priced in and that we may have seen capitulation bottom. Um, it's going to still be a, a, a lot of work. And I don't think it's, you know, straight up into the right next year. Just to recount, say, the the most recent bear market, right, 2018-19, and, and into the end of the 17 bull. So December of 17, um, BTC peaked, and then January of 18, ETH peaked a bit after BTC. And then um, December of 18, BTC and ETH hit the, the their first bottom of that bear. And so that was a year later. And lo and behold, here we are a year after the 2021 peak, right? And potentially uh, the first signs f- for, for me of bottom being in for most assets. Um, now, going back to December of 18, so that was a year after the bull market ended. We retested in January of 19. We then ground up um, February, March, and then BTC broke out um, in, I think it was April of 2019. And if you look on the weeklies, I think it was six green weeks in a row. And I remember that being agonizing for me because at that time I thought that we could potentially go lower because, you know, I was getting suckered by other people who I trusted more than myself. Um, but anyway, BTC ground up for about six weeks and I had a big breakout in April and BTC topped out around 14 K in in 2019 before retracing all the way to its bottom in March of 2020, right? So like I see in the last bear market as BTC of having, as, as having had roughly a triple bottom, December 18, January 19, March of 2020. And then it was after March of 2020 that, you know, things were pretty sustained up into the right for about two years. And so, you know, using that same rough pattern and, and nothing is exactly the same, you know, we could see um, some some violent ranges next year, let's call it, um, and those can be pretty soul-crushing because, um, you know, just to use like BTC's move, that was from 3K to 14K, so that was about a 5X um, off the bottom. Like to say a similar thing here, you know, that would mean BTC going from, you know, 16K where it currently is. If it went 5X, which I really don't expect next year, but just as a thought exercise, that's BTC at 80K. Now, that's a new all-time high that's slightly different than, than the old situation. But just to give people an idea of what these new numbers, how violent that move was, I could see more something like BTC going like 2 to 3X off the bottom, maybe trying to go to 50K next year. That could really get people psyched up. You know, they could be like, oh, like, bull market's back on. And then we make it, you know, we're not out of the economic woods yet. Um, like, recession is is definitely closing in on us. And um, next year's not going to be great for crypto or traditional finance or Main Street or any of those things. Um, the market will be volatile within that range. And so, again, like, one thing that I hate seeing happen to people is, like, they get overly bearish at the bottom. And then, you know, they capitulate and get sucked in, like, mid-range or, you know, second half of the range um, when they're like, oh, I guess the bull market's back on and then they get slammed again. And that's where, like, I just feel like your downside is much lower in accumulating here um, than, you know, capitulating in, like, six months from now and then potentially getting slammed again. Because that's what happened to a lot of people in 2019. Um, and, you know, that, that can be pretty soul-crushing. 
Uh, yeah, I can uh, definitely speak from experience when watching uh, Bitcoin would go up to that 14K. It was like right before Facebook was announcing its like DM project. I remember being at Bitcoin 2019 and they had the Bitcoin price on the screen and it was just like every single day it was like a thousand dollars higher. Uh, and I remember like, and that was, I, I was still in my first cycle. So I was like, oh, bull market's back on, baby. Here we go. Uh, and then turns out it was like 18 months later before the real thing started. So I, I think you're just the message that you're giving is like 2023, maybe even into 2024, there's just going to be like, the market's just going to buck us around. There'll probably be some head fakes. And what you're saying is like, if you are buying now, you're probably in the best position on the saddle to, to sit through 2023 calmly. Exactly. And like, I, I would prefer, prefer for people, you know, to buy in the face of a lot of fear. Um, it does take conviction, like your best buys require courage and conviction. Um, you know, and for them to make everyone has to make their own decision, right? I, I make my own decisions and I'm sharing this from my perspective, but I think that's a lot better place to act from than to FOMO in uh, later. And, you know, when I look at like, so we've talked a lot about sentiment here and, um, but when I look at, you know, more of the, the fundamentals of things, right? If I, if I start with Bitcoin, like, and, you know, there's public sites out there that people could use, like, um, look into Bitcoin.com. Um, so look into Bitcoin, no spaces.com or, um, also charts.wubull.com. Or if you search Willy Woo, um, these charts all come up. And if you, if you look across the board on Bitcoin's on chain charts, pretty much everything is flashing deep value. Um, and, you know, a key one that I look at is MVRV. So market value. Um, so the current. Uh, network value or market cap of Bitcoin divided by the realized value, so the value of all BTC when it last moved. When that's sub one dollar, you know it means as a whole the holders are you know in the red. People generally don't like to sell in the red, right? Um, and the lower we go beneath one, the more deep value Bitcoin is, and you know Bitcoin is sub sub one MVRV and and has been there for a while. Um, I'm also watching Bitcoin funding rates slipping negative. So when that's happening, you know, longs are paying to be long because so many people are short. We want to see, you know, a sustained um, Bitcoin funding rate n negative environment. Bitcoin still sub its 200 week simple moving average. Um, so, you know, historically, the 200 week has been its bottom, um, the 200 week simple moving average. And, you know, that applies to a lot of commodities. I do have my eye on, you know, minor capitulation. I think that's an outstanding one. I ask myself if, you know, the mining industry has professionalized so much that there will be less of a capitulation than some of the, the past bear markets. Um, you know, I'm also looking at the number of new addresses spiking. So historically, that's a good sign. You have um, new money or new addresses moving in to accumulate. So and then there's, you know, the rainbow, which is. Uh, you know, more meme than, than substance, but Bitcoin's at the bottom of that range. So, you know, people can do their own research as they always should. But if you look across the board on the charts, Bitcoin is in deep value. Um, and I would say the same thing applies to ETH. Uh, when I look across the board there, I, I do think ETH needs to reclaim its 200 week simple moving average at 1334. And it, it looks like it wants to do that. We've discussed how, you know, its bottom last week was higher than the June bottom um, and attributing that to the merge uh, as a market structure change, even though no one's really talking about it. And, um, you know, meanwhile, ETH DeFi has performed flawlessly. And um, I think that's super notable. And like, 
the the people who get it are paying attention to that. Um, and I think that, you know, the fall of a centralized fraud like SBF and FTX is all the more reason why we need to lean into decentralized protocols. So like none of these things are bad things for crypto if you truly understand um, what's going on. And, and that's again where I'm just noticing like the emotional momentum of uh, a lot of commentators in the space to the downside, which is historically a mistake. Well, that was a, a whole wealth of information. I'm, I'm glad we're recording this uh, this space so I can go back and, and listen to all those indicators. I'm looking at the uh, blockchain.com ones right now, but it, so- it sounds like you kind of have a flow, Chris, that you perhaps go through. Maybe you have like your, your set indicators that you look at at TradingView at blockchain.com. Can you can kind of just like run through your flow of data if you have one? Well, I just ran through it a bit there. Um, right, yeah. But But I would say that like, and, and by the way, we have some other listeners like um, Kathy Wood or Will Clemente or Yassine or if anyone else wants to come up here and um, share their thoughts. I've, I've uh, given out some invitations. If people want to listen, I totally get that too. Sometimes I join spaces and don't want to speak. Um, but, you know, in terms of my flow, my starting point is generally that uh, history is on rough repeat. And, and this alludes somewhat to, to the algorithm. Um, that you know, I, I know has become a meme on Twitter and people might be disappointed to learn that the algorithm is really just a reflection of human society, um, that we like do things roughly similarly and um, we have these uh, peaks and then uh, like people talk about the four-year cycle in, in crypto a lot. There's also, I, I have a close friend um, who uh, that I speak with a lot and I've nicknamed him the algo because he also is like very good at, at, at market timing. And so the algo is a, a mix of things. It's not a, a model that I have. I'm, I'm sorry to break people's hearts. But so starting from this place of like history roughly repeats, it's this idea that like, you know, thus far, Bitcoin and crypto have been through these four year cycles that are dependent upon the having um, that you know, we tend to have these giant years, the year after Bitcoin's having, and then it takes us about a year um, to draw down from there. None of this is set in stone. It will change eventually. Bitcoin's halvings are becoming much less impactful on the overall market, but to date they have worked. And so when we were, you know, nearing the end of last year, the reason, one of the reasons I was vocal um, uh, uh, about, you know, my pessimism or concern for the space is that was right on target for when um, everything should be peaking within crypto. It was, uh, so, so that's the start, right? The patterns repeat. And then it's, observing the people, right? And when people are losing their minds, um, you know, with say mania or hubris or overconfidence, none of that is really sustainable. Like when I looked at crypto Twitter in Q4 last year, pretty much everyone appeared drunk to me. Um, And so, you know, everyone's drunk. Well, they're probably not making good decisions. And then, you know, once I have those two things lining up of like, the, the rough patterns and, you know, the sentiment of either everyone being money drunk or, you know, now depressed, then I'm digging deep into both the fundamentals of the networks um, and the technicals. Um, you know, I know the technicals are a um, forever debated topic. I, I kind of think of market charts as um, just amalgamating all the available information. You know, it's all the monkeys all around the world smashing buy or sell. And so, 
they they amalgamate that information in such a way that that can be useful if you if you learn the patterns and so i would say that's my flow assume the patterns roughly repeat always ask yourself why they wouldn't um observe you know people because you know markets always overextend themselves to the upside and and the downside and then to really pick your spots um going deep into the fundamentals of the networks and the technicals of the market well, that's that's just all, all brilliant. Thank you for for sharing all of that, Chris. I, th- I think the last um, variable to talk about that doesn't go on your on-chain data uh, analysis is uh, the macro macro conditions. Uh, so, how how do you map on the the state of the macro world to all of the data that you're seeing on the inside of crypto? Yeah. So, you know, when you look at um, risk equities, let's say high growth equities. They have gone through now a drawdown that is on par with the tech and telecom crash, right? So major drawdown, lots of quality names down 80%. I think, you know, Facebook or Meta is down almost 80%. That's, um, you know, mind blowing to me that such big names could, could have those moves. You know, um, I worked for, for Kathy Wood for three years. I have a ton of respect for her. Um, I, I think she's absolutely right that, you know, people are conflating now with the tech and telecom boom, whereas the big difference is those names have fundamentals. Um, you know, a lot of them are borderline market monopolies. They're free cash flow machines. Um, the fundamentals are there and people are selling them as if the, the, the fundamentals are not. Now, the reason a lot of that is happening is because the Fed funds rate has gone up so much, right? We're all focused on how much is the Fed going to hike now? And I think the the key thing for people to, to realize there is, you know, the Fed funds rate is the base discount rate um, for all cash flow producing assets. And so what I mean by that is, you know, cash flow producing assets in, in the numerator is, you know, some equation uh, to discount all those future cash flows back to the present. And then you're dividing that numerator by a denominator, which includes the Fed funds rate. And so the bigger the Fed funds rate goes, the bigger the denominator goes, and the more those assets get discounted. Um, and a, a, a rough trick that um, Kathy taught me is like, let's say the Fed funds rate is at 1%. You divide 100 by 1%. And that means that if an asset were yielding 1%, it would take 100 years to pay back that asset, right? So 100 divided by 1%. But now let's say you're at 5%, and the Fed funds rate isn't quite there, but we could get there. You divide 100 by 5% and you get 20. Why is this relevant? It's because it kind of, it shows the baseline of like, say, the most risk-minimized asset and how long it would take to repay. So at 1%, it'd take 100 years. At 5%, it would take 20 years. And that you know, you can use as like a rough heuristic. Again, these are like rough mental math things to help guide people um, as a rough heuristic to say, okay, this is potentially a tolerable PE for the equities market. And so when you have the Fed funds rate at almost zero, the tolerable PE is infinity, right? 100 divided by zero is roughly infinity. And so people will pay anything for an asset. Now that the Fed funds rate has gone up so much, they're getting really discerning about how much they're willing to pay um, for equities. And, you know, if that rate gets to around 5%, you could say a, a 20 uh, PE. And so a lot of high growth names are getting trashed um, because they're still investing in the opportunity. Their, their earnings are not um, mature yet. And then at the same time, I would say you have inflation rolling over, right? October CPI, um, October PPI, both the um, both of those 
surprise to the downside. You have um, anticipation of Fed rate hike slowing. And what I would say here is because I see a lot of people that focus on the absolute numbers. And the key thing to understand is um, markets are all about the rate of change um, at the margin. And so if, you know, say the bad things are slowing down, that is a good thing, even if the absolute numbers, let's say like the Fed funds rate could go slightly how, higher. If the rate of change of the bad thing for markets is slowing down, that is ultimately a good thing. And so across the board in macro, I would say that I'm seeing um, this rollover and slowing down of the bad things, which sets us up you know, for the bottom to potentially be in there. Again, next year could be rocky. We may revisit these levels, um, but it's it's more that okay, even though the absolutes may get worse, the fact that the rates of change are slowing, getting less bad, potentially rolling over, sets us up um, for a potential bottom. And I think really the thing I'm noticing here is all of the alignment in so many different parts of the world uh, that we've talked about just now, right? Um, and I think you know, technical analysis traders would probably resonate with this too, where like the funny little triangles and shapes that shows up on charts that give traders their inspiration to make a trade often correlates with real world events. Uh, and I think uh, as a result of this conversation that we've been having here, Chris is like, I'm just noticing we have uh, what we are calling to be like the the finale of the crypto contagion finally playing out. And so like that's kind of coming to a wrap, rolling over, if you will. Uh, and you're and you're we're also looking at like the uh, the traditional equities market also producing some really interesting opportunities. And then you kind of ran through all the metrics and to illustrate like the you know, perhaps the bottom of, of this tech stocks and the equities markets are also coming in there. And then also aligned with the like you said, the rolling over of, of uh, inflation. All of these three things seem to be happening at once. Am I, am I reading tea leaves or is that? No, no you're absolutely correct. And that type of alignment is what you need to change things around um, when the destruction has been so large, right? It's been a really rough year for, for a lot of people. So, so you need a strong confluence of events to change things. I would also add that, you know, there's signs of, um, you, you know, uh, President Biden meeting uh, Xi Jinping. That's also very important too, right? So, and that is an indication of a less bad situation. What I do want to say here, because I'm giving the optimistic side and, and, you know, that's what I believe. But anyone who's followed me for long enough knows that, you know, I, I aim to be intellectually honest and to explore both sides um, of everything. And I think that for people that are feeling more conservative or it doesn't feel right for them um, to hop in here, you know, I, I think it's totally reasonable to um, wait for ETH to reclaim the 200-week SMA, um, for BTC to close the gap to about 20K, um, for the volatility of, of crypto to dampen a bit, right? Like we, this is the midst of the chaos. And after this, there, there will likely be a period of dampened volatility and despair. Um, might it be a bit higher than le these levels? Certainly. Um, or well, sorry, not certainly. Likely it will be, uh, higher than these levels, but they'll still be good, good prices. And so, you know, if it doesn't feel like the right time for someone's, uh, risk disposition, I would say, you know, it's fine to um, wait a bit until there's been some confirmations. I think this is how Crypto Donald, um, the duck on Twitter is uh, approaching things if people want to follow him. And, you know, that's, say, a bit more of a trader's mindset of, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait 
for confirmation of things, for volatility to dampen. I'll be very tactical with where I enter. I won't try to catch the bottom wick, all those kinds of things. I think the reason that you know, you see me being, say, slightly more aggressive with my optimism here is I'm, you know, I'm a very long term buyer and holder. Right. And so like these capitulations are a time where I commun- uh, accumulate. You could say that, you know, uh, placeholder as a firm is, is part of setting the bottom. And, um, you know, setting the bottom comes from from people that are aggressively optimistic, accumulating at scale. Um, there will still be volatility around that. And, um, you know, that path of, of waiting for some confirmations and lower volatility is, is a totally valid one. I, I think the fear or like if people are going to pursue that path, you have to be pe- prepared to buy a little bit higher. Um, I see some less educated market participants, you know, that want to catch the exact bottom. Um, you know, if it goes higher, they, they'll be like, oh, I'm, well, I'm just going to wait. And they, they end up just waiting, 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 waiting forever. And so it's kind of like you either you know, buy in max fear, um, without absolute certainty that it's the bottom. And, you know, that's a way to say, catch a capitulation wick or you wait, but you have to accept that you'll probably buy a bit off the bottom, which is totally fine when things are down as much as they are. And you just need to be prepared for that. And then look for, you know, the signs that you're looking for as confirmation that, um, you know, it's a good time for you to step in personally. Well, the, I think the only uh, wisdom that I can bring <laughs> bring after after all of this fantastic information, Chris, is just to remind people what the era of 2018 to 2020 was like. Uh, and I, I'm always uh, biased towards Ether. It's the chart that I am the most familiar with. But uh, Ether crossed after having its 2017 mania. Ether fell below $120 for the first time in uh, November of 2018. Three quarters of one year later, it was at $370. A half a year later, it was back down to $120. Just two months later, it was up to $300. And then one or two weeks later, it was down to $80. And then that was the last one. That was the COVID crash before we started the bull market. Uh, and so I, I definitely have learned to uh, control my bullishness uh, because I definitely lean bullish all of the time. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely want people to, if they are listening to this and they're like, oh, baby, the bottom's in. Uh, remember, 2023 is going to be a grind. It's not going to be an easy way out of this. It's still going to be a dark tunnel. Uh, and so we're still going to get bucked around probably for a while. Um, Chris, I don't yeah. have any more questions for you. What, do you, what well, else do you I've, say? I've got a question for you. I'm sure. curious um, what you're thinking about Solana. I saw some positive mm-hmm. commentary from you. And, um, you know, this has been a long running discussion, I think, for a lot of Ethereum people. And um, I, you know, I view this point in time as kind of like what the DAO hack was for Ethereum in 2016 in terms of like the chaos that it induced, the way it shook a lot of people to the core. You know, a lot of um, doubters came out of the woodwork to say, look, you know, this is what I said would happen. Like Ethereum's going to definitely fail now. There was then the fork that gave birth to Ethereum Classic. You know, that was a brutal period um, for Ethereum that formed, say, a lot of the cultural core or at least hardened it uh, of Ethereum for those stu- who stuck around. My take on this is, you know, Solana is going through something similar. But you know, I'm I'm curious if you have any thoughts as um, such a strong proponent of of Ethereum. Yeah, certainly. And I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately. Uh, I was in in Ethereum during 2016 for the DAO hack. Uh, so the the memory that comes to mind was really just 
the capitulation down uh, to $80. Um, mm-hmm. the, the 2017 was like kind of my first real foray into like personal investing in the first place. And I got swept up by the ICO mania, just like everyone else. Like ICOs are going to change the world, like capital coordination, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, I was definitely like fully like committed to Ethereum, but like I was still very naive when it comes to like what the hell's going on in, in, in the application layer. But I, I found my tribe during that time of like watching Ether go from a thousand dollars to six hundred dollars and then thinking it was the bottom and then six hundred dollars down to four hundred dollars and then thinking it was the bottom and then like watching it go down to eighty dollars and i was like well i don't really know what the hell the bottom is anymore uh and for me that was like a big moment of camaraderie with a lot of the ethereum people that you still see around uh today that's that's when i was getting very close with ryan before we started bankless that's where i became very good friends with anthony Cesano and, and cyrus unessi and mariana conti and a lot of these people that shared in the pain of watching uh you know joe lubin dump the ether into into 82 dollars uh like what what did we have to stick around for well it was a bunch of promises right we all shared a vision right we all it, we were all like brothers in arms well we were just like you know we're bloodied and battered after like a terrible year and uh at the end of that time and throughout 2018 to 19 icos uh, treasuries ran out of ETH. Uh, we literally ran out of sellers. Uh, Joe Lubin called the bottom because he knew he was going to stop selling Ether. Uh, and this is this is the moment that I kind of see Solana going through. Um, yeah. And like I, I'm not really convinced by like the architecture of the chain, but you know, to each their own. But what I do resonate with is that there is a community of Solana builders and community members that seem to be riding the price of soul down to the ground in the same way that me and Anthony and Ryan uh, rode Ether down into the ground in in, in 2018. Uh, yeah. And and that was that was a moment that you know the community of Ethereum contracted to its most core. Uh, core people and those people supported Ethereum for the next two years as we worked out some narratives as we like came to understand how to explain Ether and it was it was where a lot of the Ethereum community came together and so like now we have a lot of dark clouds over Solana like the FTX like SBF Alameda uh, just like influence is gone and now Mm -hmm. they don't have that pillar of support meaning they have to do it themselves and mm-hmm. so I'm bullish on the Solana community coming together and, and saying, you know, no, we're not we're not just like we don't care about not having like the perma buyer of FTX and SBF to support us. We are legitimate and strong under our own weight. And that's what I'm optimistic to see out of the Solana community as they go through some of the similar strifes that I remember going through back in 2018. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And um my observations is that the timing here is really fascinating because Solana was coming off a breakpoint right before this whole fiasco unfolded. So the week before last week, um, breakpoint occurred, which is uh, Solana's annual conference. And um, we send Mario Lal, placeholders governance re- researcher, to a number of the layer one conferences to just get a read on you know what the vibe is, how many people are there. What's the substance versus the hype? And, um, you know, the takeaway from him and from um, a number of other people that I know within the Solana community was it was magical. You know, uh, a strong feeling of um, inspiration, way more developers working on Solana than, than 
even, you know, the most op optimistic people realized. And so I would say that was a strong emotional high for people. Um, and, you know, Seoul was marching towards $40 at the time. And then, you know, you have that high that then very quickly turned into a nightmare um, the week after the conference, which was last week with FTX falling apart. And at least what I've seen is, you know, people using um, that bonding power from the conference to stick together. And you mentioned the word camaraderie, David, and I think that's exactly what I'm seeing um, amongst the Solana community. I think one of the hits on, on Solana has been, you know, it's just about the money, right? There's no values or soul or where's the camaraderie um, to, to make the world a better place. And, you know, as I've gotten to know Raj and Tolly and, and more of the team um, through this year, I would say that even prior to the FTX incident, um, there was acknowledgement that um, SBF's involvement was no longer necessarily an, an, a net positive for Solana. And there were a lot of ecosystem teams that Alameda um, helped structure their tokens. And everyone knows that those token structurings were predatory now. And, you know, that really having Alameda on your cap table was a type of curse. And so, and, and meanwhile, SBF was moving on to Aptos, right? And so um, there was like a, a um, sort of cleansing or distancing process in the works already. I basically see this event as accelerating or, or catalyzing that. And then I think that Solana will get a lot more respect um, if the, the, the community sticks together, which I anticipate it will, um, you know, if they support each other, if they, they, you know, make some adjustments to say their DeFi ecosystem, right? This will harden say against the use of, of centralized tokens like Solets and some of the stuff we've seen there. And so I see, you know, the DeFi ecosystem as, as hardening through this and as is uh, displayed on placeholders website, we do work with Orca and Solend, um, and we also work with Vault and Nation. So two DeFi projects within Solana. Um, Vault is a programmable NFT project, and then um, Nation is, is a DAO interface um, within Solana. And basically what I'm seeing across the board with the builders there is um, a doubling down on, on Solana. And there was another team within Solana that I was diligencing and I was talking with them the day that everything was melting down. And I asked them, you know, so, you know, what, are you going to move to Aptos or Sui now? Like, is Solana done? And um, their response was really telling to me. They, they told me, you know, a few weeks ago, I, I, I would have told you that, you know, we're, we always are surveying, you know, what the best architecture is and where the most users are. But now we're Solana loyalists and um, we believe in Solana and we think it's unfair what SBF has done and we, we want to help Solana rise again. So like there's a lot more, I think, soul um, that I'm seeing emerge from the community, which is really key to sticking together. And so, you know, that's where I'm like, okay, this, this reminds me a lot of some of ETH's duress or, you know, Cosmos's duress or even Bitcoin's duress. All these communities have gone through it and sticking together through these moments of crisis is key. A few other things I, I, I want to say, um, there's a really good paper, I think, from the Kennedy School of Business um, that shows that, um, you know, dictatorships outperform democracies in expansionary periods, but then tend to fall apart and disintegrate Um during contractions or, or bear markets. And so what I think you're seeing is like, in a way, a fall of a dictatorship of SBF 
that will allow a Solana democracy that is more like Ethereum's to to emerge and and bond everything together. The other thing I'd say is um, I I have this pet thesis that when I look at the metrics of Solana, it's it's really a, a super similar incentive model um, to Ethereum in, in proof of stake. Uh, I agree that the distribution is different, but the incentive model is is roughly similar, and a lot of the use metrics are are roughly similar, and so. My, my pet thesis is that Sol is just one cycle behind ETH. And then when I look at Sol, its supply is about 5x that of ETHs. And so, you know, in Sol's first bull market, if you look at ETH's full first bull market, ETH got to 1500. So you divide 1500 by five, you get 300. That's about where Sol topped out last year. I think it was 260. Um, and then using that for, for the bear, ETH bottomed at about 80 in its first big bear. And 80 divided by 5 would be 16, um, which is right around where, where Sol is now. Um, and then we all know that ETH went to about 5,000. And so you could divide 5,000 by 5 to get, you know, a, a rough projected price for, for Sol in the next expansion. And that's very roughly how I look at it. Again, I, I try and look at things left brain, right brain, middle brain, all the brains. Um, and, and, you know, those would be some reasons why I'm optimistic on Sol here. Yeah, and it's that that's that community aspect that I think is really really important. And I don't actually really think I would be in crypto if that the community aspect wasn't true. Um, I, I kind of the the uh, metaphorical campfire that needs to stay warm to keep a community around it uh, is, I think, one of the cool, just elegant parts about this industry. And I do I do see a lot of strength in the uh, Solana campfire. And I would also extend that to broadly. I feel like this FTX event has really uh, brought a lot of people back to the same campfire and remind us like why we're all here in the first place. And it's because it's all people all the way down and it always will be. Chris, I've got a live stream I need to get to on Bankless in 10 minutes with Matt Walsh uh, from Venture from uh, Castle Island VC. The title of that uh, live stream is Where Were All the Adults in the Room? Uh, so, Chris, I want to thank Beautiful. you for being one of those adults and, and sharing for some of your perspective. And uh, and you've been a, just a personal mentor and pillar for me in this space. And so thank you for, for sticking around even after all of our shenanigans of 2021. Thanks, David. I'll be here. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This space was uh, recorded. I don't really know how long they last, but uh, enjoy listening and enjoy. uh, Thank you all for being here. Cheers. Bye, everyone.